Griswold, where do you think you're going to put a tree that big? Bend over and I'll show you. You've got a lot of nerve talking to me like that, Griswold. I wasn't talking to you. All right, kids, let's get cracking for seminars. Next one up, February 5th through the 7th in Wichita Falls, and then after that, we'll be in Wichita Falls again, April 16th through the 18th. For camps coming up, we have our self-sufficient lifter camp on January 9th in Wichita Falls, covering the squat, the press, and the deadlift, how to film yourself, and how to diagnose your own technique. For deadlift and power clean camps coming up on January 16th, we'll be in Houston at Starting Strength Houston. And then we have two squat and deadlift camps on the list, January 23rd in Boise, Idaho, and January 31st in Miami, Florida. Several meets on the list if you're willing to travel to Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, they have several USA weightlifting meets. They're going to have their strength lifting challenge. And they're also going to have a strongman meet later on next summer. All of our strong strength gyms are open and operating where you can come in and work out with a coach for less than 30 bucks a session. To find a location near you or to request a location, head over to locations.startingstrengthgyms.com. And as usual, for more information about anything that I've talked about, head over to startingstrength.com and check out the right-hand side of the homepage. From the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the internet. Ladies and gentlemen, starting Strength Radio. Welcome back to Starting Strength Radio. Uh, it's Friday, and uh, as a result, uh, it's Starting Strength Radio, as I just mentioned. And today, we're going to visit again with our friend John Horgan. John's a science writer. He works for several different publications, including Scientific American. He's got a long history with that publication. And uh, John's always an interesting guy to talk to. We first spoke with him back in... Uh, February, I think, about about uh, the cancer treatment business after he had written an interesting article that caught my attention about that. And then we spoke to him again in April about uh, current topics, including the COVID-19 deadly pandemic. And uh, I thought we would touch base with John again and uh, see what his uh, current thinking on all this shit was. John, thank you for being with us again. It's a pleasure. Good to see you again. Good to see you, sir. So, uh, how are you? I'm fine. I'm almost. I'm. I'm. I'm doing so well that I feel a little guilty about it. Oh, I do too. I spend a lot of time during the day feeling guilty about being as smart as I am and and uh, as healthy and strong as I am with my three thirty five squat. <laughs> I've, I've, I have no business being as handsome and young and viral and vital. I mean, virile, virile, virile is a combination between viral and vital, isn't it? Virile. And, uh, all of that other stuff. I know you're in the same situation. I am. You're just, uh, you're just too good for most other people, aren't you? So, uh, You've got, uh, let, let's, I, I want to go ahead and plug your book right at first. Hey. So that's a good idea. So hold that thing up. Let's everybody make sure that you get a copy of John's new book. Pay attention. Right? Sex, 
Death and Science. Sex, Death, and Science by John Horgan. And and who did that beautiful portrait on the yeah. on the cover? I have a uh, I have a Russian friend named Nikita Petrov who right. takes a lot of psychedelics and writes about his trips and he also creates psychedelic art. And he You know, I'd I'd give him a lot of money to do one of those for me. Tell him just pass that along. <laughs> pass that along. Why it makes you look like a Greek god the way he's done the hair there, you know? <laughs> it's like a, a, a Greek statue's hair. I I like it too. I'm I'm very pleased with how he, uh He's how exaggerated he your Adam's apple. That of course is a a male secondary sexual characteristic. I, I don't even, the funny thing is I don't have much of an Adam's apple. Well, I don't know why he felt it necessary to put that in there. I guess that's in lieu of our double chin. If he would do that for me, <laughs> I would really appreciate that. Uh, I think he'd like you. He's uh, he's really into American culture and and all its wild diversity. And well, he, he saw our original conversation. From not the first one, but the second one. Yeah. And he was really into it. He, he thought you well, were good. a really interesting character. Well, that's, that's good. I tell him, I said, hello. Okay. All right. Uh, so uh, here we are in uh, late December of 2020, arguably the worst year in the history of the human race on, on, for several reasons. Well, let's say the worst year in the history of the human race in the past several hundred since uh, since the uh, actual plague wiped out 30% of the population of Europe. That was probably a real bad time to be alive. Probably worse than this, especially since the survival rate of this latest pandemic is 99.97%. Yet we're still being forced to close all of our businesses and stuff. Uh my friend in Switzerland has just told me just minutes ago on a text that all of the businesses in Switzerland are closed until the end of January. Wow. All of them because lockdowns have worked so well at transmitting at preventing the transmission and, and uh, propagation of the deadly COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, you'll notice that every place that has been locked down, has no COVID and every place that has not been locked down has got bodies piled up in the halls of all the hospitals and on the sidewalks and like Florida, hold it. That's not true. Is it? Well, I don't know. I'm confused. So as we all are. So John, you and I talked about this in April and, uh, at, at that point, we really didn't know what the hell was going to happen here. Uh, the data at that point was, uh, was bad. Not as bad as the data at this point, granted, yeah. uh, because it had yet to be politicized. But uh, uh, what's, uh, I want you to talk about 10 minutes without me talking, and I'm just going to shut the fuck up, which is something I don't normally do. And let you tell us what you think happened is happening. That sort of shit. Yeah. Um, I'm, uh, I probably know less than you about what's going on, but I'll, I'll just tell you how my thinking has evolved 
I'm an optimist by nature. And so I'm always hoping that things are, are going to turn out well. I, I was worried about the pandemic once it, it started spreading in the US. Um, I never thought it would get as bad as, as it is right now. I was looking at some of the optimistic uh, predictions coming from a guy we talked about last spring, John Iotwinitis, who had some data suggesting that uh, the mortality rate was very low and therefore the death count um, from this pandemic would be quite low. He actually had a, uh, one prediction as a kind of lower bound of, of maybe 10,000 people dying. This is back March, it was very early when only I, I think a few hundred people had died in total. I seized on that. I wanted to believe that that was true. Meanwhile, there are a lot of other smart people who are saying that um, this virus is very infectious, that the mortality rate, even though it's well under 1%, there are people who are saying it was over 1% initially, but I think it's pretty clear that the mortality rate is, is well under 1%. But but it's so infectious, it spreads so rapidly that um, when you're you're talking about hundreds of millions of people being infected, you're going to get a death count that gets pretty high. So I was worried about that. Then when the summer started, I I saw what I thought were positive results from the lockdown. The the case rate, the infection rate went down. And even more encouragingly, the death rate went way down. I'm not sure exactly when it was, but maybe in June or July, there were only um, like a couple of hundred people dying a day in the United States. And the number was trending downward. And so I was thinking, uh, you know, maybe I'm gonna go back to school in the fall and see my students on campus. Uh, as opposed to what happened last spring where everything went um, went online. I, I taught my students only by Zoom. And uh, I can do that, but I don't wanna do it. And then what happened, as you know, of course, the numbers started trending up again in the fall. The, the, the case, the, the infection numbers, the case rate. And, uh, but I didn't see the death rate going up at first, and I thought, okay, we've got a handle on this now. We know how to treat this disease, and uh, not as many people are going to die. Eventually, especially over the last month, six weeks, the death rate started catching up to the infection rate, and um, and now, I mean, now it's it's worse than it ever was. <clears throat> it's worse than it was last spring. You and I, I think have similar, our, our thinking overlaps in terms of trying to find the right balance between um, trying to shut down society, keep people from mixing with each other. So we really put a lid on this pandemic and balancing that against the costs of a lockdown, which are huge. And I think that the costs this winter are going to be much greater than they have been. I'm really worried about that. And I'm worried that we're still not having a really candid conversation about 
the relative costs of a lockdown and of the 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 economic effects, which of, of course leads to um, psychological effects, uh, possible social unrest, all those results of the lockdown. Um, I think clearly we do need uh, uh, another lockdown right now. The numbers are coming back in New Jersey where I live. And, uh, and I think it has to do, in fact, the evidence suggests that it's because of big social gatherings. There are a lot of cases that come from students being back on campus together and partying and things like that. So if you're looking for clear answers from me, Mark, I'm not gonna give them to you. I'm really confused, I'm upset. I don't know what to do. I would not wanna be in a position of authority trying to figure out what to do because all the options are horrible. But I think really we do at this point need to at least have some kind of partial lockdown so that this thing doesn't totally get out of control over the next couple of months. All right. John, have you seen any evidence, any actual hard evidence that lockdowns prevent the transmission? Do, do you um, know where, so here's the data I've seen. All right. It, it seems to me that, uh, Everyone is in agreement that uh, 70 to 75 percent of the cases of this transmission come from within the family. It everybody's in agreement then uh, with the the fact that less than one and a half percent of transmissions occur in restaurants and bars. These just the numbers I've seen. Uh, we're going to lock people in their houses with their family, which is where everybody catches it. But we're going to close down the bars and restaurants where nobody catches it. This is, that disturbs me because it's counter rational. I haven't seen those data that you're mentioning. I haven't seen that statistic that, um, more than 70% of the infections come from immediate family members. I need to start sending you this stuff. I, I have been remiss in doing that. I have, uh, I keep pretty close track of all of this because I've got this thread on my website about it and I babysit it for hours every day. And I'm constantly getting people sending things in and posting things and calling things to my attention. And uh, I need to start sending you some of this because I think there's a whole bunch of stuff going on that you're not, really aware of. And I, I will assume partial responsibility for that. Cause I just forget to send it to you, but I'll start doing that. Uh, what, what do you think about the death coding that would certainly affect the quality of our data with respect to how many people have died from COVID-19? You, you're aware of what's going on, right? I, I mean, I, I know that there's, there is a uh, controversy there was early on anyway about possible inflation of the uh, numbers of deaths attributed to COVID-19. To be honest, Mark, I don't take that seriously anymore. I think we're so far beyond that point now. Wow. It seems to me that, um, that, uh, you know, the death rate is so high now. I mean, when you and I were talking last spring, 
was it? Like 20,000 people were dead. And uh, I forget what you were estimated would be the, the total death count, but it certainly wasn't anything like what we've got now, 300, 000, more than 300,000 people. And, you know, like 2,500, 3,000 people dying every single day. Right. Um, well, so well, I, you know, I know there are still people who don't think that, that who think that this whole epidemic is being overblown. I don't get it. I, you know, from what you're saying, I gather that you're one of those people. And um, it's, it's hard for me to believe that you would still have that attitude now. Well, let me, let me tell you why I have that attitude. Okay. All right. Uh, in my office here in the, here at Wichita Falls Athletic Club, I've got two ladies working for me, both of whom have elderly relatives. Uh, our production assistant, Bree, has a grandmother who's 95 years old. She's been locked up in her room by herself for months. Recently, she tested positive for COVID-19. Carmen, my gym manager, her mother died about a month ago, who tested positive for COVID-19, who'd also been closed up in a room by herself for months. Old women not allowed to touch their relatives for some reason that escapes me, somehow caught, quote unquote, COVID-19 from who? People wearing masks and gloves in a perfectly controlled environment. Uh, the hospital gets the hospital gets paid twenty thousand dollars for each one of these coatings, and uh, they get paid thirty nine five for everybody that's a, that's shoved into an ICU. There's a financial incentive for this. We all know this. Uh, it's uh, it is uh, beyond question that there is an incentive to code the death as COVID nineteen uh, in Grant County, Colorado. For for example, an article appeared last week. Uh, this is a northwestern county, rural county in in uh, in Colorado that reported five COVID-19 deaths, one of the lightest loads, uh, five COVID-19 deaths in Grant County. Two of those people died of gunshot wounds. Now, it, it doesn't take a lot of looking to see this repeated over and over and over and over. Uh, what's the death count as of today? 240, 240,000, something like that. No, Mark, it blew past 300,000. I think it was last week. Right. Uh, in the U S all right. So 300,000, uh, people in the United States, uh, we are told died of COVID-19. I don't believe that. I don't believe that number is even close to being true, but let's say it is, let's say every one of those people is dead of COVID-19 that would still be alive had they not had COVID-19, all right? Uh, in the United States, there are 330 million people 
And of those 330 million people, 300,000 of them have died of COVID-19. Let's say 310,000, just to be generous, so we don't misconstrue anything here. Right. 0.1% of the population That's, so far. You're right. Let's round it up. That's 0.01% of the population. All right. In uh, a normal year in the United States, 3 million people die. 2.8 to 3 million people. This is recent population levels. Uh, you know, that's... That's... Uh, but here's a better question. Have you looked at the excess mortality figures for this year? I want to go back to what you said about the numbers being inflated and you're suggesting that oh, yeah. uh, hospitals, people in the healthcare industry have a financial incentive to inflate the numbers. Uh, I, you know, I, you and I first talked about, um, about this criticism I wrote of the cancer industry. And I'm saying that the cancer right. industry is, uh, you know, heavily capitalized. They're, they're making tons of money and mm -hmm. they're not really benefiting people much. But and I'm suggesting you can't be saying that the COVID-19 industry is not in the same situation. Here's what I, here's what I want to ask you. Look at England, mm -hmm. look at Switzerland, look at France, look at all these countries in Europe. You just mentioned Switzerland, all these countries in Europe where the numbers are, um, are also rising rapidly. England just shut everything down. Right. England has a national, a nationalized, um, healthcare system. So the financial incentive there doesn't really exist. It's being the, the, um, healthcare system is being devastated. Well, no, there's always a there's always an economic interest in terms of the GDP of England. The BPHS is, you know, a big consumer of a big percentage of that. And they're, you know, and look at what pays for the BPHS tax money from the rest of a previously functioning economy. I, 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 I'm not sure I I see. Well, I, I, I don't understand your point. What look in, in England, you've got a you've got a. A prime minister who was initially downplaying the the seriousness right. of the the pandemic, much as Donald Trump has done in in, uh, in this country, um, he changed his mind after he got sick. Boris Johnson got very sick himself, and mm -hmm. that I I think made him forced him to take COVID more seriously. But I'm just pointing out that um, you can't say that you know if you're saying that there's a conspiracy among healthcare healthcare workers, uh, hospitals in this country to inflate the numbers for Oh, that's not what I'm reasons. saying at all. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, what I'm saying is there is an incentive for hospitals uh, to code for COVID-19. It's not a conspiracy. It's, an, it's a financial incentive. And who established that? Whoever's giving them the money established that. Uh, if I was a hospital administrator... And my hospital had been essentially closed down for five months earlier this year, empty, which most of them were. I'd be trying everything I could to make up that shortfall. And if I had to code, everybody that walked through the door is COVID-19. 
because I was forced to, to empty my hospital for five months between April and the end of September, I probably would code for COVID-19 too. I don't think that's irrational. It's dishonest, but it's perfectly rational. So you're saying it's a possibility. You know, Mark, oh, I think yeah. the person you need to have on your show would be, there's an epidemiologist in, um, in Atlanta. I think she's associated with Emory University. Mm -hmm. uh, my girlfriend listens to her all the time. She's got a podcast and she's become this internet celebrity because she works in a, um, she's an epidemiologist. So she knows a lot about, about um, diseases like COVID-19, infectious diseases. Um, and she works in a hospital and she actually herself, she takes care of patients with COVID-19. Mm -hmm. And she's been talking about what that's like for you know six or eight months now. Her hospital is overrun with cases. I think you need to talk to somebody who is actually dealing with people who have COVID-19. Oh, John, I know that there are people that have COVID-19. I'm not saying that there's not. What I'm saying is that lots and lots and lots of people who, quote, have COVID-19 don't have COVID-19. Do, do you, for example, do you know what the rate of uh, flu infection has been so far this year? I don't. Oh, zero? That's, Almost that's zero? A, quite close to zero, yes. Right. Well, that's because of the lockdown. No, that's because of testing. <laughs> that's because of testing. Well, why would it be for the lockdown? Where do people catch the flu? Where have you? You've had the flu. I've had the flu. Where do we get the flu? I, I, we I'm get the flu from our people that are close to us. That's where we get the flu. We've I always get, gotten the flu. I get the flu probably when I, you know, I haven't had it very often, but when I get a cold, let's say, I get it from my students. Or, right. Who are in immediate contact with you. Yeah. 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 I'm, in a, I'm in, a, in a room with yeah. like 25 young people. And what does a lockdown do? Put you in a room with the same people over and over and over again. And I, I, I guess I just need to send you this, send you this transmission stuff. But, uh, I, you know, uh, the flu, I saw one thing today where there were a total of, uh, in the U S so far this year have been uh, in this flu season. And I think flu season officially starts November the 1st. Uh, but I don't know that for sure. You might want to check that out. But the flu is essentially gone. There are 660 some odd people in the United States who have been diagnosed with the flu. I got uh, my shot. That's uh, you know I'm, I normally get a shot. Uh, I have had a flu shot for 20 years, and I'm convinced it works because I've only had the flu once after I've had the flu shot. And that was a couple of years ago when the flu shot was only about 20% effective. Of course, the new uh, COVID-19 vaccine will be way, way, way more effective than that. And there'll be absolutely no long-term side effects from a uh, vaccine that's been in existence for six weeks. We somehow know there are no long-term side effects. Uh, Flu cases are a, this is a problem. This is a problem. 
the flu virus didn't go away. Uh, there's several types of flu. We all know that there's various types of flus that circulate from years to year. It changes and stuff, and there may be two or three different versions of it. Uh, it, it's, it seems odd to me that uh, states like Florida, who don't have a lockdown, states like Missouri without a lockdown, Oklahoma doesn't have a lockdown, has never had a lockdown, are experiencing no higher transmission rates or case rates than places like Florida, uh, places like uh, New York and California, where everybody's been a good little boy and is locked down more than their mask, where the cases are skyrocketing, cases are spiking. And, and for that matter, John, what is a case? This is an interesting departure from our, from our normal infectious disease uh, behavior. Uh, a case is normally when someone is sick. Not a positive test. But this year, a case is a positive test. Now, what purpose does that serve? Let me, let me address that. Um, I, I, I agree with you on this. I've never taken the case numbers that seriously because, obviously, they're just related to the number of tests we're giving people. Obviously. Uh, there, there are problems with the tests. I think it's I, – I, I know people who have had no symptoms at all. My stepmother, who's in her 80s, uh, has tested positive for antibodies twice and she's in perfect health as far as yeah. she knows she you know she hasn't had any any signs of uh, infection i'm more in concerned with two numbers one is the death rate which mm -hmm. we've just talked about and what scares the shit out of me right now is deaths at or over 3000 a day that's really serious if you know if you're talking about the numbers being inflated even accounting for that i think it's it's alarming Another alarming statistic that the New York Times is presenting every day is hospitalization. Hospitalizations have gone way up recently. Yes, that's have. really scary. We're that's getting not, back to that doesn't scare left. me at all. Why not? Because hospitalizations make money for hospitals. You think people no. are going to the hospital when they're not really sick? I sure do. Because I know people that work in ERs. I've got a couple of members of my gym that are ER physicians and the media has conditioned 330 million people to think they're going to die from COVID-19. And if they get even slightly sick, if they have any symptoms at all, they'll go to the emergency room. Absolutely. Oh God. Yes. I, I had one guy quit the emergency room job he had last month because he was tired of it. I know that's I know that seems disingenuous, but that that is the case, John. Uh, the the people have been told by the media that COVID nineteen is going to kill them. Did you see the survey? Oh, a couple of months ago, where they asked people, just people on the street, random sample of people, how many people they thought had died from COVID nineteen, and the uh, aggregate answer they came up with was 30 million people. People think everybody's dying. 
because they've been taught by the media that everybody's dying. Cases are spiking. They say cases are spiking. Cases are spiking over and over and over again. And what are people supposed to take from the sentence, cases are spiking? That it's <laughs> cases are spiking because testing is spiking. And if you run the, you know about the, the, the cycle threshold problem. I do with, not. With PCR, right? You, all right. You know how PCR works. Polymerase chain reaction. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. I thought you were talking about the personal protective. No, no, no. The, no, the polymerase chain reaction cycle. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. If you run that test over, up over 25 cycles, the data is shit. And lots and lots and lots of tests, probably the majority of the tests are over 35 cycles. Right. And if you want to manufacture cases, that's how you do it. That's how you do it. And I, you know, I actually got to spend the weekend one, one time about 12 years ago with Kerry Mullis. What a fascinating guy he was. Yes. He's a fascinating guy. He, he is, uh, he was, uh, He's blunt. He's funny. If he thinks you're full of shit, he'll tell you that you're full of shit. And uh, he he died what four or five years ago. Oh, I, I didn't know he, he died. Yeah, he's he's been dead a couple three or four years. He hell he was surfing every weekend when I got to visit with him back in two thousand eight. Uh, fascinating guy, and uh, you know. Here's the guy that invented the test, and he says this this shit doesn't work over twenty five threshold, over twenty five cycles. You'll find things that aren't really there, and you've got cases being attributed to PCR testing where the cycle threshold has not been enumerated. They leave that out. You can't leave it out, or it's not it's not data if you leave that out. If you're going to design policy based on 40 cycle threshold PCR testing, your honesty is in question because you're supposed to know more about it than that. And you don't, and you're gone ahead and designed policy based on this. And the data is shit. I'm telling you, John, all of the data is shit. Okay. Let me just go back to what you said before about how, you know, 330 million people have been convinced that uh, COVID is 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 gonna you know it's gonna kill us all or it's 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 killing mm -hmm. a lot more people than it's actually killing that mm -hmm. our, our fears are overblown. That's not what I'm seeing. My stepmother isn't that worried about COVID nineteen. I've got a brother who's in England. He says, I assume I'm gonna get it, but you know I'm a healthy sixty five year old guy. It's not gonna infect me. A lot of my students feel the same way. The ones who don't feel that way are the ones who have had COVID and have gotten extremely sick from it or have had relatives who got sick and died. I also know people like that. So it's kind of a mix. I was just walking around in New York City last night, walked up into the Soho region, and there were, there were uh, restaurants that were packed with people, not wearing masks, uh, having a good time, drinking and eating. I assume that they're not that worried about COVID-19. I think that a lot of people feel that 
either it, the threat has been overblown or they personally are, are not at risk. And if you're a 30-year-old, your risk of dying of this thing is low. People die who are young and healthy, but the numbers are small compared to the number of people my age and your age or older or people who are sick or already compromised. What, what I'm having a hard time getting my head around I, you know, I, I was wondering how you would be feeling about this epidemic because when we last spoke, it was very early. And, um, you know, we were both suspicious about some of the, the data and the conclusions that were being drawn and about the need for lockdowns. Um, I'm really surprised that, because I know you're a smart guy and you do your homework, you go out there and you get the data. I'm surprised that you are so skeptical of the severity of this pandemic. Well, I've seen a bunch of stuff that apparently you've not had uh, not been made aware of. Uh, first off, I've had it. I think you, you and I last discussed it. You thought you'd had it too. I did. Right. And I uh, tested negative though. I did I too. Negative. You know why we tested negative? Because antibody tests only show antibodies. And if you fought this thing off with T cell, uh, with a T cell response, you wouldn't necessarily have developed antibodies, especially since you weren't sick very long. And I certainly wasn't sick very long. So no, it doesn't. There, there's there's enough false negatives and enough false positives to once again call into question essentially all of this data. And you have a false positive. Uh, you've probably done the statistics on a false positive rate of six percent. It renders the all of the data shit. And you know more about that than I do, I'm quite sure. But but you can, if you had a false positive rate of 6%, you, you cannot, you know, use that as data. Uh, That's why I'm not really looking. I'm looking at the right. death rate and hospitalization rate as the right. most. And I'm, I'm more cynical about the hospitalization rate than you are. Um. What would it convince? What would it take to convince you, Mark, that see, this that shit is? That doesn't matter. The question is whether or not the situation that we've got right now, whether you know you guys disagree right. or agree, whether that situation warrants the economic destruction out- of the world. The economic outcomes. This. This. Yeah. All right. That's a good point. All right. Let's say. All right, John. Three hundred thousand people are dead. All right, 300,000 people in a country of 330 million are dead. And so we destroy the economy. We spend uh, two years in lockdown. We teach all of our children that they are to be afraid of everyone and being in close proximity touching anybody. We spend all of our time convincing 18-year-old kids that they're going to die if they don't wear a mask. We teach them all of these things over a disease with a survival rate of 99.97% across all demographics. The survival rate is 99.97%. Where did you get that number? That seems. I've seen it several times. Seen it several times. It's not the, the CDC, the last number. I... That's That was the CDC number. Oh, the, the number I've seen from them was like. Uh... Uh, about what the rate we're seeing now, which is about um, 0.1%. Uh, so that's so that's 99.1%. Yes. 
Jesus Christ. 99 point anything percent. 99.9%. Yeah. So 0.1% of the people who are infected are, are going to die. And of course, that varies a lot. We have destroyed our economy. Yeah. And lots and lots of the relationships in our society for a disease that leaves alive 99.9% of the people in the country. I'm sorry. That's not a, that's not a reasonable thing to have done. It's not a reasonable thing to have done. I understand 300,000 people are dead. I understand that. Three million people a year are dead. How many people get killed every year on the highways? We'll stop driving cars. What do we do? The number is still going up. I know the number is going up, but we're fixing to be in another year. And numbers don't go up ad infinitum. They peak. Well, yes. You got a Gompert's curve here we're dealing with, right? And you, you, you have to understand that this comes to herd immunity eventually happens. Not if we lock everybody down, it doesn't happen and keep school children who are supposed to get these things and develop immunity to them and grow up with immunity and teach their immune systems to do the thing immune systems do. But it, no, see, we've, we've, we are prolonging the effect of this thing. If 98% is the survival rate, it still doesn't make any sense. If 95% is the survival rate, it doesn't make any sense to do what we have done. 10 million people would, wouldn't justify no. an economic shutdown to get over this thing? No, I don't think so. I don't think you can justify that. Uh, I, I know that seems callous. But it's but it's if if ninety if the ninety five percent that got over it are out of work and their families have been destroyed, their livelihoods have been destroyed, their ambition has been destroyed, their freedoms have been taken away. Uh, I, I guess I just have a different metric for calculating what's worth living than you do. Let me just try to justify what's being done now not just in the united states but in all these other um industrialized nations it's happening across europe england has an even more severe lockdown than than we have oh yeah obviously obviously all the people in charge are horrified by what's happening i don't know that that's obvious at all it is to me economically um this is this is really bad for politicians Joe Biden, it's, it's, he's it's, got a nut. John, it's not bad a, enough for politicians. I promise you that. He's got, <laughs> he's got, he's facing a nightmare. What they're hoping is that the lockdown will carry us forward enough until the vaccines start working, and we can gradually start going back to life as in as right. normal. That might happen. I'm, I'm hoping it'll happen by late this spring or certainly by this summer and maybe things can start going back to normal by uh by next fall i totally agree with you i am absolutely freaked out by the possibility of massive unemployment which of course will lead to i mean already you're i'm seeing a lot more homeless people in new jersey and um 
and New York City. Uh, crime rates are going up. Um, and we're at the beginning of this. We're facing a major shitstorm. I know that. But the question is, is how do we get past it? I, I, don't th I do think it's worth it. I think it's, it's at this point, because of the way that the deaths are spiking and hospitalizations are spiking, it's not only a question of whether it's worth it. I think it's, it's absolutely necessary. We have to do this and give ourselves time until the vaccines can start working. And the vaccines, it's, that's not guaranteed to work. This is just a terrible situation, but just to say that we're overreacting and that even millions of people dead is, is, um, is worth, it, that, that's a cost worth paying compared to the economic shutdown. I don't get that at all. Uh, do you think that your attitude your attitude is that, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because I'm this liberal East Coaster. You're in Texas. You voted for Donald Trump. Would you say you are typical of the people you know um, in being suspicious of some of the data about COVID-19 and thinking that we're grossly overreacting to it and that our economy should go back to normal, that we shouldn't have this lockdown. I'm, I'm typical of the people I know personally. I'm typical of the, of my set of friends and, uh, the people who have looked at this closely and who deal with the data and, and, uh, are in the healthcare industry and, uh, uh, who understand, uh, uh, this data, but in, uh, that doesn't matter. What matters is what the general public thinks. Right. And the general public thinks they're all going to die. So if, if you think you're all going to die, then you're going to voluntarily quit participating in the economy. There are people that I know that hadn't been out to eat in nine months. Now, I, I don't know if you're in the, you know, anybody in the restaurant business, but the estimate I heard last week was that 110,000 restaurants in the United States are permanently closed right now. How many, how many employees does that represent? How many, how much, how many hundreds of billions of dollars of capital investment are down the fucking toilet as a result of that? Yes. People are dying. Okay. Let's assume 300,000 people are dead. They're not, but let's assume 300,000 people are dead. Uh, about 300,000 people. How many people a year? Look that up real quick, can you? What's the road accident death rate in the United States? 2019 was 36,000 people. Oh, okay. So I, even I was. No, you were, you, you were over. You were over estimating. How many people died of heart disease last year? 550,000 people. Right. Died of heart disease. Because cancer, I think, is just. Starting to very yeah, close. Cancer is lower than that. Yeah, a little bit, like 400, 425,000. Cancer is trending up. Heart, heart disease trending down. Heart disease trending down. Cancer trending up. More people are smoking, I think, than were. I think we hit a low of 13% population smoking. Hey, you know, just to your point about the the devastation of shutting down all the uh, right. all the restaurants. My my daughter 
worked in a cafe and in uh in manhattan she's been out of work since uh march mm-hmm. and um you know she's been getting by on i can help her out but she's been getting by mainly on uh unemployment checks of course it's this is it's horrible it's devastating i live in new york which is a a city of you know it's got the best restaurants in the world it's well it had the best restaurants in the world right uh, uh, i mean it does, new york has no has no theater anymore all the movies no. are shut down no it's, it's irrevocably damaged the culture in new york city and uh i yeah i i know death is terrible there's no doubt about it death is terrible and I'm going to sound like a fucking asshole when I, I say that uh, if 10 million people die of this of this pandemic, that it's still not worth it to close down society. I, I know that sounds harsh, but uh, I don't think... Uh, that that is an unreasonable position to to hold. If that many people die, uh, society shuts itself down. That this is you know, and this is a, not, this is a real good point. This is a real makes good you point. Shut down. If rabies was spreading this easily in the population, what would people do? They wouldn't wait for Mayor Wilhelm to tell them to not go out. Now, would they? If it's scary enough. You already know what to do, but we're having to be told what to do by people who are personally unaffected by that proclamation. Listen, the way I you're you're posing it in a way that's too binary, like, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, 10 million dead or economic shutdown and 20 percent unemployment or whatever hell that's going to be. My my take on this is that. We shut down long enough to let the vaccines do their thing, plus whatever herd immunity might we might have, mm-hmm. and and try to get things back to normal as quickly as possible. The whole point of the economic stimulus is to give people the wherewithal to make it through this this period of of massive unemployment. That's helped people I know. It's helped my daughter. It's helped my son, uh, whose work also has been affected by the mm-hmm. pandemic. Um, and, but I, I think, you know, if you're talking about 10 million people dead, that that's, that's uh, acceptable. I don't think there are going to be very many people who would agree with oh, that. Oh, probably not. Probably not. Uh, I mean, that's a hell of a bunch of people. There's no doubt. That's a hell of a bunch of people. Uh, so far, it hadn't happened, though. So far, that's not occurred. And it won't occur. We all know it won't occur. But let me ask you a couple of questions here. Where do you get the stimulus money? Do you realize that Congress, well, I know you don't know because they don't know either. And they just passed a $2.3 trillion stimulus package. Uh, $900 billion of it was for COVID relief. And 1.4 was their little silly-ass continuing resolution so they don't have to actually do a budget. $2.3 trillion added to the national debt. Some of that will be offset by tax money, but way, 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 way less of it this year than previously, huh? 
Way less of it offset by tax money this year. All right. And at the state and local levels, what does New York City think it's going to do after it's destroyed its tax base? I know these seem like esoteric concerns, but I think that's a real problem. It's not esoteric at all. I, I, I think that's a, I think somebody better start thinking about that. These idiots here in Wichita County are all worried about their sales tax revenue. Everybody is worried about this. I mean, all governments across the country, not just the the federal government, are are cutting basic services. It's a huge problem. They're they're laying people off, cutting services. This this is going to be this is this is um, it's devastating all the way up and, and down at the smallest scales and at the largest scales. You know, do we have any choice? I guess I'm saying. What about what about suicide rates? What about yeah, drug overdoses? I know, man. I, I What about all of this shit? You know, this What about Here's here What about COVID-20? What happens when COVID-20 comes along? Is the new normal that we stay in our homes in perpetuity? What is what happens when COVID-20 comes the next big deal? What happens it's when the next happening. big deal comes along? Yeah, I know all this shit in England. I understand it. COVID-21, COVID-22. Where does this end? When do we go back to normal human existence where we get sick and we get over it? And some of us that are real old get sick and die because that's the way it's been for millions of years, but not in 2020. Not in 2020. I guess I'm hoping, listen, I was shocked. And, uh, you know, when Trump was saying before the election, there's going to be a a vaccine ready within a couple of weeks. I thought he was full of shit. He was just blowing smoke as usual. Turned out that he was. Turned out that he actually made that happen, right? Yeah, Yeah, you got to give him some credit for that. But let okay. me point. Let me ask you another question. This is the most important thing I want to ask you. Let about. me just let me just let me just finish my point. My my right. point is that those vaccines got made faster than it's ever happened right. in history, and we've learned a lot. We've, we're using new technologies. These are uh, you know RNA based vaccines. I don't know anything about this technology, but supposedly it's really versatile. So the hope is they can come up with a general class of vaccines that are flexible and can be adapted to whatever mutant version of COVID-19 emerges or whatever crazy new virus comes from God knows where in the years to come. So we actually now are better prepared for these kinds of things in the future, and we might be able to survive them. We're learning a lot with how we're handling this in ways that are less harmful to us. That's what I'm hoping. And I, you know, listen, I'm, I think a lot of the the points you're making are really important ones. We've got to pay attention to the effects of the lockdown. Is the cure worse than the disease? I'm really worried about that. You and I, I care more about that than most of the people I know. I keep bringing it up and and people think I'm a jerk. They think I'm crazy for bringing this up. I totally <laughs> agree with you there, but I think you go too far and to to you're too extreme and not caring about the number of deaths. Well, 
I, I care about deaths. Okay. I've, you know, believe it or not, I know people that have died and, uh, you know, death is part of being alive. This is what's wrong with PETA. They don't seem to understand that. Right. Uh, death and life are intimately related to each other. Uh, that's, uh, maybe more mature than I normally am, but that is in fact the case. And people are going to die. People die every year. If 2020, uh, ends up with way more deaths than normally happen, uh, in a couple of years, that number will be lower. And if you look at the excess mortality numbers for the last 20 years, you'll see them go up and down. And you see that bad flu seasons are always followed by lower excess mortality. This is just the normal pattern we see. And that that's CDC data. That's right there on that same website. Is that because the herd has been? Yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly, that's a harsh way to say it, but that's exactly, the, the, the dry tender. They, they talk about it as the dry tender. The dry tender is removed. So, uh, this is this is real, real important, and this is the thing that I have not seen discussed at all in the media or anybody else. We started talking about the use of ivermectin back in March because there was some indications, some early indications that ivermectin was a relatively potent antiviral medication much more effective than the standard antivirals like acyclovir and fam acyclovir and those things that are, that are, that have been <laughs> hideously expensive bullshit medications that have been prescribed for herpes simplex for decades now. And ivermectin showed great promise as a theoretical treatment for this thing. There are several important studies out on ivermectin right now that show that they have in some cases, 80% effectiveness in terms of prophylaxis and treatment of COVID-19. 80%. Now, here's my anecdotal report for you. And, of course, this is anecdotal, so it's not really data. <laughs> As the peer review people like to point out, a uh, friend of mine, uh, last uh, end of last week, Thursday of last week, called me from Salt Lake City and said, oh, my God, we've all got covid and uh, wife's sick. I feel like shit. Kids are sick. We've all tested positive. And I said, have you, I know you have some ivermectin. Because I'd already talked to him about it. He, he had some at the shop. And I said, have you given everybody the ivermectin yet? And he said, no. And I said, you fucking idiot. Go to the shop. Get the ivermectin. Put 12 and a half milligrams on the end of your finger and stick it in your mouth and do that for everybody else in the house. And uh, he said, well, you have to shut up and go do it. How sick is the woman and how sick do you want her to be? Is this not worth a 15-minute drive to see what's going to happen? So... Eight people in his household 
that and that he's intimately associated with all tested positive. Uh, that was on Friday because this all transpired on Thursday. Today, all of them are back at work. Wow. Without symptoms. Is this over the counter or yes. this is it's it's wormer. Ivermectin is an anhelmic. It's used for horses and dogs and cattle. It's available in several administration routes, available IM. It's available as, as an oral paste, apple-flavored paste. You get it at the farm and ranch store. It's $11 for, you know, 40 doses. And it's, uh, have you not looked into this? No. I'm, I'm, listen, man, I'm, I've spent the last six months, uh, trying to escape the pandemic. I've been trying to learn quantum mechanics. This is how you escape the pandemic. Yeah. This is how you escape the pandemic and nobody's talking about it. Uh, a few people are talking about it. I saw a, uh, saw a deal online the other day. Who was that guy's name? Corey. If you take it, you will not get sick. It has immense and potent antiviral activity. We know that from the first study in Monash, it has made the bench to the bedside. Prophylaxis, we now have four large randomized controlled trials totaling over 1,500 patients, each trial showing that as a prophylaxis agent, it is immensely effective. You will not get sick. You will be protected from getting ill if you take it. In early outpatient treatment, we have three randomized controlled trials and multiple observation as well as case series showing that if you take ivermectin, the need for hospitalization and death will decrease. The most profound evidence we have is in the hospitalized patients. We have four randomized controlled trials there, multiple observation trials, all showing the same thing. You will not die, or you will die at much, much, much lower rates. Statistically significant, large magnitude results if you take ivermectin. It is proving to be a... Now, why are you hearing that from me? I'm a gym owner in North Texas. Why are you hearing that from me? Let me, let me, uh, you know, let, let me, this is, this is a serious question, John. Why? Let me throw you a bone. I'm, I'm going to answer that question, but a little bit indirectly, you know, the big, uh, controversy over hydrochloroquine. Uh, yeah, this, this, this shit works way better than hydroxychloroquine. Oh, okay. Hydroxychloroquine. Right. Uh, right. so, Here's one of the problems with what's happened to our country lately, and it affects everything, but it's especially affected how we've handled this, uh, this pandemic. Uh, Donald Trump is talking about all kinds of crazy shit and, you know, you can do this and you can do that. And then he, he talks about hydroxychloroquine as being really effective, right? Uh, a lot of people, in my side of the country, the mm-hmm. me, you know, so-called liberal media, and including a lot of people in the medical establishment, think that if Donald Trump says that this shit works, then obviously it doesn't work. Obviously it doesn't. That is an extremely important point. That is an extremely important point. We have allowed politics and dislike for a Northeast Yankee president to color our ability 
to analyze and make decisions. If you just, if the knee jerk reaction is high, well, Donald Trump wants you to take hydroxychloroquine. He wants you to inject Clorox into your brains because C H L O R, you know, it's the same thing. And he wants you to inject that and all this other shit. And people will say that I've heard it said, uh, that, that is, uh, an unfortunate, uh, casualty, uh, of the ridiculous politics we've seen in this country over the past four years. Uh, the ivermectin, ivermectin in combination with doxycycline, uh, and that's the protocol. You're taking a hundred milligram doxy, 200 milligram loading dose of doxycycline, 12 and a half milligrams of ivermectin. Uh, you continue the doxy every day, hundred milligrams. And then on the fourth day, you take another dose of, of ivermectin and that's the protocol. And you can, and then you finish out the week on, on doxycycline. Uh, you got as much ability to research this as I do, John. You're better at looking at this shit up, uh, looking this shit up than I am, and I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, but I think what you're going to find is quite astonishing, and uh, we've decided to ignore things. Because we've been told by the idiots at the uh, CDC and, uh, and by Dr. Fauci that we have to wait on a vaccine. We don't have to wait on a vaccine if we have prophylaxis that's effective enough to keep us from getting sick. Now, do we? But there's a lot of money in a vaccine, isn't there? Excuse my cynicism. Oh God, I wish I'd, I wish I was just a, in childlike acceptance of all of this shit. But I'm telling you, there is a uh, there is an agenda here besides Carmen's mother's life. I uh, I don't know. You know it, this this goddamn situation, John, is just. I mean, we have. We have a way to treat this shit. We've had a way to treat it for a long time. But my friend can't go see her mother before she dies. She can't. She's not allowed to go see her mother before she dies. Girl works for me. He's not allowed to go see her fucking grandmother before she dies for no fucking reason whatsoever. There are, there are grudges being built right now. Do you understand that? That will survive the Biden administration. There are grudges being built right now that are going to be a problem later on. And I, it's, you know. My father died in June, and um, we haven't had... A service for him we haven't been able the family hasn't been able to get together to mourn his passing this Never great made. guy who, who uh brought us all into the world um mm -hmm. so yeah everybody is everybody is dealing with with this it's a it's a global tragedy it's a it's it's a you know i was gonna say a plague it's a it's literally it's literally a plague 
and um, we're dealing with the consequences. We're making a lot of mistakes. I'm not as suspicious. I mean, it's it's weird for me to say this because I grew up in the '60s. I distrust authority in a kind of knee-jerk way, and I encourage all my mm-hmm. students distrust authority, including me. I just wrote a column for Scientific American with that as a t- uh, as the headline. But in this case, I think I think Fauci is a great um, is is exactly the medical expert that we need. I I I give Donald Trump a lot of credit for not getting rid of Fauci, even when um, Fauci was was diverging from Trump's own message on the coronavirus. Um, I'm expecting Joe Biden to put policies in place that will maybe also be flawed in a way we can't really know what what we've done wrong until time goes on but i'm expecting him to put together a good team that will help us get past this as quickly as possible i'm hoping by next summer without permanent damage but i'm really really worried i'm worried in the same way uh, not as much as you are i guess but about the economic devastation but i'm really worried i've never when I was walking around New York City last night and I'm looking at all these shops and restaurants and, you know, going through a normally thriving part of New York City, I just realized how fragile it is. The whole thing can crumble. It's crumbling right now. Oh, yes. And I don't know if it's going to come <clears throat> back. I'm really worried about that, too. This is a terrible blow to us, yeah. but we've got to get over it. We've got well, to figure yeah. out how to how to get past this virus and just just acting like it's it, it, you know that it's not that big a deal and going back to life as normal right now I think would be a terrible mistake. Well John we've been talking a while now about uh, what's wrong. And lots and lots of things are wrong. Uh what do you think we ought to do about it? This is kind of a I mean it's it's wonderful to bitch but uh what do we do? Well, I, I think you've got more to bitch about than I do. I, I think we're basically doing what we can. We've got this horrible situation. Um, there are no good solutions. We take the least bad solution. And I think we're doing that. Uh, we're trying to get the vaccines out as quickly as possible. Um, and, you know, there are distribution problems already, but I assume that those are going to be fixed uh, at the same time, there are lockdowns that are being reimposed around the country. Uh, you and I are going to disagree on that, but I think at this point it's necessary just because the, uh, the deaths are surging across the country. And, it's, and this isn't unusual to the United States. It's happening in other countries in Europe, and they're also imposing new lockdown measures. Um, the, the choices to lock down and whether it's schools or businesses or whatever, are agonizing. They should be agonizing because these the lockdown is, is immensely harmful and destructive. Yes, but I think is. at this point it's still it's still necessary. So what do you think we should be doing? Well, uh, well, I'll tell you what I think. Um, I think that since the lockdowns have been imposed on us for about nine months now, and since they haven't worked, 
they demonstrably haven't worked because, as you say, cases are surging. Uh, I think uh, we ought to act in this epidemic like we do in every other epidemic throughout history, and that is just go on about our daily lives. I don't think the government should tell us what to do because the government doesn't know what to do. Everything the government has told us to do hasn't worked. Uh, I think that uh, there should be no lockdowns. I think that everybody ought to be able to do business with whoever they want to do business with, whenever and however they want to do business with it. And that if you as an individual are at risk of getting sick and dying from being sick, then you stay home. But you don't make everybody else responsible for your health. Because that's not right. That's not right. And if you if you remove all of the lockdowns, if you'd never instituted the damn things, lockdown is a prison term, as we know. That when you have lockdowns, you have the prison is locked down for because somebody behaved badly. But society on lockdown is society in a death spiral. And if someone over the age of 75 is afraid of getting sick, and I can certainly understand why they might be, then that person stays home. But I don't because I don't want to stay home and I've got to work. So that's what I think ought to happen. I think you leave us alone and let us act like we know already know how to act because we know how to keep from getting sick. We know what happens when we get sick. We know the risks from being sick. We understand that some people are more susceptible to being sick than others. For some people, being sick is a much uh, more onerous thing to be than for other people. For 13-year-old kids, they get sick, they're sick about an hour, and then they're fine. Uh, for that person's grandmother, a different situation is probably the case. So, it's then incumbent upon the 13-year-old to take care of their grandmother and to help them with staying home and not getting sick. But it's not up to me to do that. It is uh, uh, in every other quarantine, you quarantine the people that are at risk, not the people that are providing the risk to those people. We've done it absolutely ass-backwards this time, and the economic and cultural ramifications of having done it wrong will be with this society from now on because we have adversely impacted the psychology of virtually everyone under the age of 75 in order to spare the lives of those over 75. Furthermore, without having asked the people over the age of 75, what they would prefer. You know, a, a person that is 85 might prefer the risk of hugging their grandkids to being locked in a room. But we haven't asked them, have we? We've just decided for them. The government has decided how we will behave. And as you can tell, I think that's bullshit. I think that's what happens in in totalitarian countries. And I don't think it's good. I don't think it's America. And I, I don't think it works. It obviously hasn't worked because we've been on lockdown and cases are spiking. So you and I have a, have a, a different 
perspective on these on this political situation. I uh, I call myself a classical liberal. I'm a you know libertarian, vaguely conservative. I'm not a religious right person, but I think that you know the the less the government fucks with me, the better. And uh, the government, every time it fucks with me, proves that it is not good at it. They haven't done one single thing during this entire episode that has made any logical sense whatsoever. And yet people willingly go along with it. And it, I'm not disappointed in the government because I already know what they're going to do. I'm disappointed in us for putting up with it. Well, Mark, let me, let me just respond to a couple of things. Okay. That first of all, that the, the lockdown hasn't worked. I don't know why you'd say that because cases, because cases are spiking. Right. But I, I think cases would have spiked earlier if there had been no lockdown. The, what my read on why I delay it. Part, why I my delay read it. On, my read on what's been happening lately is that people are getting, you know, we don't live in a totalitarian government. People are uh, pretty much free to follow the rules if they want to. Nobody is, there are people who are hugging and getting together in New York at my campus over here. There are still kids having parties and, um, you know, they're not being thrown in jail for for uh, for doing that. They might get a wrist slap. They're going home and being with other people for Thanksgiving. That's why I think the cases are spiking now. People are getting tired of the lockdown, and I certainly understand why. But as a result of that, people not doing what they're told, and in some cases, the, the rules were relaxed, so people are just following the new, more relaxed regime. As a result, more infections are happening, more deaths are, are being recorded, uh, and that's why I think we need to go into more severe lockdown now and it's not going to be permanent god forbid it's they told us it was going to be two weeks back in march yeah i know i uh, i was hoping that it <laughs> see the pattern john <laughs> i was hoping it wouldn't it wouldn't get to this point let me you know one fundamental difference between us and i want to see if i can clarify this and figure out where you're coming from okay. is our trust and the basic statistics so um i believe the numbers that we're seeing about the the enormous increase in the number of cases and the increase in the number of deaths, um, which have gone up rapidly just over the last month or six weeks and are now higher than they were back back in April when there was another uh, peak. I believe those statistics in the same way that I believe that Joe Biden won the election. I think Mm -hmm. that there were irregularities and in in um, in the voting and places, but those are trivial. Biden won by five million votes. He won the electoral college vote. I'm just I'm curious about whether you are skeptical of the election results in the same way that you're skeptical of the statistics that are giving us a picture of what's happening with this pandemic. I'm terribly skeptical of anything the government and the media tell me, because. It is proven to be false so much of the time. For example, this morning I looked up the uh, total mortality so far in 2020. Then, while I'm looking this up, Twitter has fed me, I'm sorry, Google has fed me an article from 
the Los Angeles Times that I didn't ask for, which is an interesting habit Google has gotten in. And uh, the Los Angeles Times article says that uh, the prediction uh, of total deaths is too low, and it's going to be more than 3 million deaths this year because of the deadly COVID-19 pandemic. And goes on to explain why uh, everybody thinks that uh, everybody wants you to believe that this is not as, or this is uh, not as bad as it actually is, when in fact, it's horrible. We're all going to die. This is the LA Times telling me this. Reuters has a similar story. While I am sitting there looking at the CDC numbers, I'm sitting there looking at the goddamn CDC numbers. I'm looking at them on my computer while they're telling me something else. So do I believe the CDC because they're from the government? Or do I believe the LA Times because they're the mainstream media? See my conundrum? Listen, I... (laughs) I, You know, this is... At any rate, we don't have four million people dead this year. Right. You know, we we it looks to me as though we've got lower total mortality this year than previously, but it's not outside of a standard deviation from that same data year over year over the past thirty years, accounting for population growth. It's just not. Assuming you're right, that's really interesting, and I know that there's been a lot of discussion over. Uh, what you expect in terms of ordinary mortality mm-hmm. rates versus what we're getting in this in this uh, crazy year. There have been right. some estimates that I've Ooh. read that give us a higher COVID mortality rate um, because uh, there are excess deaths this year. Well, that's that's what I'm telling you. The the data don't say there are excess deaths. At least the yeah, data I looked at don't say there are excess deaths. And if there are excess deaths, if there here and this is let's go back to this because we've touched on this several times. If there are excess deaths, is it worth the death of society, the death of the economy? And that's a value judgment that everybody's going to have to make. Is it worth not being able to see your mother for six weeks prior to her death of whatever you want to call it? Is that worth it? And, you know, I'm going to say no, John. I'm going to have the, to say no, it's not worth it. Again is, is that I, there, you know, there, there are lots of people who are, gathering data and trying to give us a picture of what's happening with this. And um, I think you can argue about the interpretation of the data Mm -hmm. and what you're saying about the mortality rate in a typical year compared to this year. That's really important to know. But I've seen enough to convince me that this is some scary shit we're going through and we have, we have to deal with it. Well, you know, I, I don't I don't have a problem with arguing about the data because the data will always be a point of argument depending on how it's collected and depending on what our standards are and all this all these other quantitative uh, and qualitative factors that go into formulating a data set. I certainly understand that but but what I'm arguing about is not the data. What I'm arguing about is the morality of the approach 
and the two are related. The two are related. There's no doubt about it because the morality changes if everybody that gets COVID turns out to be blind when they're through. But they're not. And they haven't been. And they're not going to be. Right. Well, there is the... And, and that's a... So, so what we're doing is pretending that this disease is worse than it actually is. And what it looks like to me sitting here is that the reason we're doing that is because somebody wants me to behave a certain way that I'm not willing to behave. And so they're trying to impose their control on me. And I know that that seems, you know, unnecessarily uh, uh, liberal, but it's been a very long time since the left was actually liberal. I'm actually liberal. I'm in favor of letting people do what the hell they want to do. Uh, but the left is not. And this government has not been. Look, hey, I'm as pissed off at Donald Trump about this vaccine thing as you are. I think he's a dumbass because ivermectin is sitting right there. You know, let me let me ask you this. I, I have a, a lot of my students are libertarians. I think I, I, I you know, I sympathize with libertarianism, even though I'm more of a classic bleeding heart liberal. But you stop at stop signs, I'm assuming. You stop at Sometimes. at um, you stop at lights. <laughs> I stop for cars, John, not stop signs. <laughs> there's a you know, there's a stop sign on my way home out in the country. Uh going down going down the road on my way home out in the country, there's a stop sign that I haven't stopped at but about four times in the past 20 years because I go home at one o'clock in the morning and there's no reason to stop at a stop sign if the stop sign isn't protecting me from somebody else. So no, I don't stop at stop signs. I stop for <laughs> okay. cars. You really are a libertarian. Yes, sir. I am. <laughs> uh, I don't, you, you know, I, I, a friend of mine long time ago told me about the Germans he told me about the Germans. He said, three o'clock in the morning, there's a crosswalk sign that says stop. And there's no traffic. And Germans will stop and wait until the light turns green at three o'clock in the morning. Because it was his opinion that the Germans were really good at following rules. <laughs> now, I don't. I don't know about you, but I'm just going to go ahead and walk across the fucking street. <laughs> like I'll run the stop sign at one o'clock in the morning in the dark. But I do that uh, too. But I but think you probably times, do. Yes. <laughs> there are times when we have to give up a little bit of our freedom for the social good. I think oh, this is one of the, we, we do that all the time. There is no doubt about that. We give up a lot of our freedom for the social good. And I understand about paying your taxes and, you know, moving the car out of the way when the street sweeper is going to come by and, you know, things like this. Uh, obviously, we have to get along with each other. But destroying society so that somebody, because someone might get sick, seems like a little bit more than too much to ask to me. All right. We're, we're going to have to disagree on, on this. Um, I, you know, I'm hoping we can, but I, I really like, I, I like talking to you because normally I'm, I'm just getting a dose of, of 
your perspective and in negative terms in the mm-hmm. New York Times and op-ed pieces, can you sure. believe there's some people still don't take this pandemic seriously? What the hell is wrong with them? So it's 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 great getting it. Well, I, I, I hope I've maybe introduced a couple of ideas that would uh, give you something to think about uh, beyond what you're reading in the New York Times. Yeah, wow. I'm. Uh, you have. And what I'm hoping we can do is maybe revisit this in six months. Maybe next summer. I think summer. we will. I think we'll revisit it in three or four months because I like talking to you. So uh, I'll be in touch and uh, be sure and check your email. What's that new book again? Look at it. Pay attention. If you want to know what goes on inside the head of a crazy science writer, this is your book. Pay attention by John Horgan. Uh, Amazon has that, I'm quite sure, right? It does. All right. Thanks for being with us, John. And thank you people for joining us on Starting Strength Radio this Friday. We'll see you next week.